This week, we're motoring with you back to Wyoming. Dive into the center of a U.S. map, and you'll see it there, just west of Nebraska and South Dakota. It's directly east of Idaho. Eyes north is Montana, and south are Colorado and Utah. Fun facts about Wyoming. In terms of square miles, it's the 10th largest state in the nation, but it's the second most sparsely populated. Thanks to six national parks, including Grand Teton, Yellowstone, and Devil's Tower, almost half of the land in Wyoming is owned by the federal government. It's aptly named the Equality State because it was the first to give women the right to vote. And the small town of Cody? It was named for famed soldier, hunter, and showman William Frederick Cody, but you probably know him best as Buffalo Bill. Today we're in Teton County, which is nestled in the far northwest corner of the state. Imagine a 50-mile-long landscape where the Grand Teton and Grovant mountain ranges rise up to carve out the valley below, casting their silhouettes on the trout-filled Snake River, dense forests of pine and aspen trees, and fertile grassy lowlands where moose, elk, and bison roam free. For one woman in this valley, education exposed her to concepts and truth about how humanity coexists, especially nutrition's role in the health of our communities. A most unconventional date with a guy named Alex piqued her interest, changing her life's work path. It's called Dumpster, and our story starts here. From the studios of Hum Productions, I'm Brooke Bechtold, and this is Impactually. Milburn knew very little about the environmental injustice of food waste. After graduation from the University of Colorado, she planned to take some time off, take a gap year, be a ski bum. Entrance exams and medical school would come next. Her plan felt solid and it all made sense, but in her last year of school, everything changed. So I grew up in Boulder, Colorado, and well, I was in college at CU. I met a dumpster diver named Alex. You know, really it was the cool thing to do. He didn't need it financially. It was just, you know, how to be an anarchist and do something that's kind of offbeat. And it's fun. It's extremely rewarding to go look in a dumpster and essentially just iron chef that night's dinner based on what you found. Um, so, so there's a lot of joy and fun in the activity. Um, but then I think dumpster diving really is an act of um, environmental justice. I would go to these dumpsters and see it overflowing with completely edible food. Alex essentially showed me this entire world of food waste that I had never seen, never thought of, never heard of um, prior to that. I was just astonished. I was blown away at the quality and the variety of food that he was finding. And so that was kind of my first look into this world of food waste. The sobering truth about food waste is that all across this country, hundreds of 
billions of pounds of high-quality edible food are dumped into landfills annually. My plan was to finish college and then go take a gap year and be a ski bum somewhere. And when I moved to Jackson, I, I started dumpster diving and I took this knowledge that I had gained on how to do it and essentially talked my roommates into going and looking in the trash with me. And, you know, I'll never forget that first day that we rolled up to the dumpster and opened the lid and looked down at easily thousands of dollars worth of food inventory that had been thrown away that was still edible. And so, yeah, it, it was kind of remarkable seeing, you know, anything you could buy in the grocery store being thrown away. Day after day, Allie returned to these dumpsters where she would find fresh produce, day-old bread still in its packaging, dairy nearing its date stamp, and perfectly marketable food items that had been tossed. This went on for months until she became so overwhelmed with the amount of waste she encountered, she realized she could and she would find a good use for all of it. Her solutions would be both environmentally sustainable and a humanitarian response to need and nutrition. The abundance and need in her community had immediate impact written all over it. So food insecurity is essentially this the state of being without reliable access to a sufficient quantity and quality of food. So what happens in Jackson, and I think this actually happens in a lot of places in, in America, is that, you know, people do go hungry where they actually are skipping meals um, or there just isn't food in their homes. But I think by and large, what what's happening in Jackson is people are getting empty calories. So, you know, a friend of mine at one point, I remember the story so clearly, he told me, I don't have enough money for groceries, so I'm just eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for every meal. So I encouraged him to go to the food pantry to get food assistance, and luckily he did. But I think that food insecurity looks a lot like that, where people are having to make sacrifices, potentially skip meals, but really just the quality and the variety of food is lacking. In June of 2012, Allie founded Whole Food Rescue, a nonprofit based in Jackson, Wyoming. She's turning excess into access. No more diving into dumpsters. Her mission is to reduce food waste and food insecurity in Teton County. Her goal is to serve the most vulnerable populations and create new avenues for people to receive food assistance. The majority is earmarked for no-cost grocery and kid lunch programs, followed by initiatives to serve youth, seniors, and marginalized individuals in need, in addition to livestock feed and composting. Teton County, which includes Jackson Hole, is an area of approximately 23,000 residents. And their Community Health Needs Assessment Office estimates that just over 10%, or approximately 2,400 people there, are food insecure. Today, Whole Food Rescue has eight food donor partnerships with local grocery stores, bakeries, restaurants, hotels, and concession stands who set aside food they cannot sell because of blemishes or bruises, approaching expiration dates, or general surplus. Now her passion had them coming to her. What types of foods do you rescue and how much food do you collect and distribute each day? 
Well, I'll start with your second question. On average, we rescue about 500 pounds of food a day. But, you know, it's different every day. Some days it's 200 pounds. Other days it's 1,500 pounds. So as an organization, we actually have to be very nimble and very flexible in order to handle the surges and the vacancies. So we rely on volunteers to rescue all this food and then send it out into the community. And, you know, a day where we rescue 200 pounds is very different in terms of the the amount of labor that is required to pick up, process, and distribute that food compared to a day where it's closer to 2,000 pounds. So through our partners, we estimate that we serve about 1,000 people every week with the food we rescue. But if you look at some some other figures, the the picture of need gets a little bit more grim. And we've definitely been seeing this play out with COVID. So there's a report that the United Way has funded and um, really is leading. It's called ALICE. And what ALICE stands for is Asset Limited Income Constrained Employed. And basically, an ALICE person is someone that is employed and who earns above the government criteria to apply for financial assistance, right. but is still unable to fully afford basic necessities. So they're essentially just, you know, right above that poverty level where if they lose their job, if there's a health crisis, if there's a car mechanical problem, their safety net isn't strong enough to get them through that. And then all of a sudden they're pushed kind of below that poverty level. And what Alice, what the Alice report for Teton County states is that 5% of our residents are living under the poverty line and an additional 28% are in that Alice category. Oh, so my. when you that totally yeah. changes it. Yeah, so it's like a almost a third of our community, and then when you layer what's just happened with COVID, on top of it, all of those people have just been completely swept. You know, the the rug has been pulled out from under their feet, and that's what we're seeing. It's always been in our model where we're quick to respond and we're flexible, and. That's the thing about food rescues that it's so important in the fight against food waste because food rescue has happened, you know, for years, for decades. Organizations have been going to grocery stores and and asking for their unsellable food, like a food bank or a homeless shelter. But the key distinction in, in our model is that, you know, really our focus is aggregating all the food and then finding a home for it. Whereas if a food bank goes to a grocery store and says, we'll take your food once a week and they get, you know, 3000 pounds of food, they might only be able to manage and distribute a thousand pounds of that. And you get rid of all of it. Yeah, we do. And, and something that has been ingrained since our beginning is not letting anything go to waste. So if we rescue food that is not fit for human consumption, you know, too rotten, too squished, whatever it is, we send that either to a pig farmer or we send it to a compost producer. And the goal for us is to keep anything organic out of a landfill. So we rescue literally anything you can buy in the grocery store, whether it's a bulk item, uh, you know, if somebody scooped some cashews into a bag and then decided they didn't want them, that will be donated to us. A box of cereal that has one of the corners smashed in, um, produce, meat, dairy, 
bulk items, literally everything in the grocery store is what is what we end up rescuing. Even the super processed, all of that? We, we, basically our, our model is we don't, we don't want to distribute that extremely processed food to people in need because the last thing that somebody whose food insecure needs is more junk food, you know, of course, everything in moderation. And the way we see it is, you know, we rescue from this wonderful bakery this local bakery that makes everything in house. We rescue from them every day and they give us croissants and cookies and muffins. So, you know, let's still honor the fact that people need variety and need a treat, but let's, let's give them the better option. My boys are utterly confused about food expiration dates and I know they aren't alone. Just the other day, Michael came to me and said, mom, I just drank some orange juice that I think is expired and I already feel a little sick. Was he really? The truth is, many of us toss items from our refrigerators that are past their sell-by or best-if-used-by date. Are these the same as expiration dates, and what does that mean? My conversation with Allie was timely, and I asked her opinion about household food waste behaviors. Consumers are the biggest problem in terms of food waste, so unfortunately, from farm to fork, the households are the place where the most food is wasted. Households waste more food than restaurants and grocery stores combined. The one exception is that baby foods and infant formula, those expiration dates should be followed. You know, that's a very vulnerable population. And so you don't really want to mess with with that group. Besides that, we like to say that the nose knows. And, you know, before expiration dates were even a thing, humans were always using their senses to assess if food was safe to eat. So our, our general mantra is the nose nose. But what what a best bait, what a best used by date is, is a manufacturer's best guess of when their product is at its peak quality until. And so I think that there's a lot of fear and misinformation around expiration dates. And I actually think that it is the food industry's responsibility to standardize and educate the public on what these dates mean. Ever since, you know, the 1900s, when the FDA essentially was established and started testing for food safety, humans have have been equipped at managing food safety for themselves. And something I like to, this has nothing to do with expiration dates, but I think it's an important part of the story. When I was dumpster diving, there was not a single time that I got sick. I've gotten food poisoning one time and it was from eating at a restaurant. So, you know, food safety and expiration dates are not linked. There's there's no correlation. Here are some great examples of the absurdity of what is deemed unfit to sell. If white rice is mislabeled as basmati rice, it's food waste. If a vegetable is misshapen, it's food waste. If a cereal box has a tear in it, it's food waste. A can with a crumpled or damaged label is food waste. Fruit that's slightly bruised, you guessed it. It's food waste. I was also fascinated about the items that Allie and her team rescue but don't distribute. Bits that aren't fit for human consumption. How does sending the inedible food out to livestock feed or to compost fit into their model? Well, it does. She had me imagine an upside-down pyramid and explained food recovery from top to bottom. 
Right. And so we really think about food recovery based on how the EPA um, illustrated it. They have this upside down pyramid called the food recovery hierarchy. And basically they talk about, you know, how to reduce food waste or what to do with excess food that would have the most beneficial impact on the environment. And so the first thing is called source reduction. And that basically means try to eliminate food waste at the source. And the way that we participate in that is we are sending information back to our food donors and saying, hey, last year, this is how much food you sent us. The year before that, you sent us this much. So they can start to understand what is their trends around excess food. And then they can work on monitoring their inventory. The main bulk of our effort and our time is spent actually on on rescuing this excess food from the grocery stores and bringing it to people in need. So that's the second step on this um, food recovery hierarchy. And then below that is um, animal feed. Below that is energy production. So using organics to produce methane for energy. We don't we don't participate in that, um, but that's a great thing to do. And then um, below that is composting, and then the last outlet is landfill. So you know there there are all these different ways to reduce food waste or to you know utilize excess food so that it doesn't end up in the landfill. And of course, Whole Food Rescue's main work is in feeding people, but we feel so happy and proud to be able to send the inedibles to places other than landfill. Produce that is consumable but not fit for human consumption is sent as livestock feed to Hatterley Farms, a local hog farmer who supplies many of the area restaurants with farm-to-table meat. Then each summer, this same farmer in turn becomes one of Whole Food Rescue's biggest sponsors. Allie and her team host an annual fundraiser they call the Million Pound Party. It's a friendly competition between local chefs who each prepare a pork dish of their own unique style and attendees get to taste and vote. The winner gets a year of bragging rights to the coveted Golden Pig Award. So it comes full circle. The meat raised with the food surplus provided by Whole Food Rescue feeds the crowd. At the end of the day, the value of everything rescued is realized, and none of it is a loss. We'll be right back. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Impactually. The team at Hum Productions works hard to leverage our episodes with the incredible and inspiring impact of our guests. If you want to support the show and be more in the know of what's coming up with Impactually, you're invited to support us on Patreon. Whether it's branded swag, earning producer-level credits, gaining access to scripts, or learning what's happening behind the scenes, you can get those and more if you go to patreon.com forward slash impactually. That's patreon.com forward slash impactually. look at a box of pasta, a can of corn, a jar of ketchup, or a bag of rice. Try to imagine all the energy it took to bring that product to your kitchen pantry. Food should be eaten, but it's about everything that goes into the food too, and respecting the resources 
and valuing and conserving the resources that it requires to grow food. The natural and physical energy that goes into food production is astonishing. Everything from the land, water, and sun to harvesting, processing, transporting, packaging, preparing, storing, and distributing is amazing and mind-boggling. And yet 40% of the food in the United States goes completely uneaten. Reducing food losses by just 15% would be enough food to feed more than 25 million Americans every year at a time when one in six lack a secure supply of food to their tables. The costs associated with food waste are staggering. According to the Natural Resources Defense Council, getting food from the farm to our fork eats up 10% of the total U.S. energy budget. It uses 50% of U.S. land, and it swallows up 80% of all fresh water consumed in the United States. The Dutch-based Water Footprint Network reports it takes over 43 million gallons of water to produce 270,000 pounds of food. That's just how much Whole Food Rescue rescued in 2018. The retail value of that food is $1.3 million. And the social responsibility math continues. So not only are we wasting 67 million tons of food, which is equivalent to about $165 billion, but most uneaten food ends up rotting in landfills. In fact, food waste is the single largest component entering municipal landfills, and it generates methane, a greenhouse gas that's 21 times more potent than carbon dioxide. I think it's important for people to consider that, you know, there is an environmental impact of landfilling food. It's, you know, the transportation costs and fuel fuel use to haul all that waste to the landfill. But then when you landfill organic matter, it decomposes without oxygen. And what that does is it produces methane gas. And methane is 28 times more effective at trapping heat in the atmosphere than carbon dioxide. So although carbon dioxide is the biggest volume of, of greenhouse gases being emitted into the atmosphere, methane is is important because it's so much more um, effective at trapping heat. And so if we if we start to reduce the amount of food we're sending to landfill, it will bring down this methane production number. Um, I read uh, in terms of reducing the carbon footprint, Whole Food Rescue prevented 96,000 kilograms of CO2 emissions in your community. So do you have any idea how that translates into terms most of us can understand? I love that you asked this question. So basically 96,000 kilograms of carbon, carbon, sorry, 96,000 kilograms of carbon dioxide is equivalent to nearly 11,000 gallons of gasoline. And, and so I took this a little bit further and and basically said, okay, if you have a car that drives, that gets 22 miles per gallon, you would be able to drive that 240,000 miles. And what that looks like is driving from LA to New York 85 times. And I, I think the important thing to remember when, when thinking about these numbers is that we are one tiny town in the corner of Wyoming. This isn't just an issue that America's dealing with. 
According to an article in The Globe Citizen, in 2016, the European Union was looking to pass a proposal to end food waste in all participating countries. The environmental, economic, and moral benefits of food rescue are incredible. Italy is nudging businesses to get on board by giving tax breaks to those who participate. People in Denmark are even choosing to shop in food waste stores rather than regular markets. With chefs around the world experimenting with food waste menus and proudly building their culinary business models around zero-waste practices, the negative stigma is slowly fading. The problem is simple. We have food going to waste, and we have people who are going hungry. Where is the majority of the rescue food sent or distributed? So Whole Food Rescue is a hub-and-spoke model, and we aggregate all of this excess food from the food donors, bring it back to our facility, sort it. Anything that's inedible gets pulled aside for the compost or the pigs. And then anything that is um, good for consumption, we pack into food boxes and send out to about 20 different nonprofits in the community. So we have partners with kind of the traditional food assistance locations like the food bank, the senior center, and the homeless shelter. But then we also have these programs that we've established in different neighborhoods called no-cost grocery programs. And they're exactly what they sound like. It's essentially a free food table, potentially a fridge, depending on the site. Anyone can access these free groceries with no questions asked. So the goal of our no-cost grocery programs is to try to remove barriers and get people closer to receiving food assistance. Because what we've learned over the years is that just because there is a food bank doesn't mean that everybody is accessing it for for different reasons. People might have schedules that limit them from being able to access the food bank during the open hours, or they might not have a car. Or, you know, especially now we're realizing that a lot of these undocumented workers are very fearful of going anywhere that's taking any type of information. Um, So there's, you know, there's red tape barriers that our no-cost grocery programs just work to um, reduce by meeting people where they are and not asking questions. And then we also send a good amount of our food to different kids programs. We give to after-school programs, and then we have a pretty big summer um, lunch program where we make meals for low-income kids, both that are attending summer camp on a scholarship, but then new this summer, we are launching something called the Sproutmobile that is essentially a food truck that's going to travel to four low-income neighborhoods and give out a healthy meal and activity and free books to any child that shows up to the Sproutmobile. Without without any kind of red tape? There's no, you don't have to sign this, nothing? Nothing. Just, if you're a kid, show up. And and what we're now contemplating as a result of COVID and, and seeing all this increased need is, do we have the capacity to provide meals for adults? And maybe it's not a free meal for an adult, but maybe it's a suggested donation of $3. And if you can pay it, great. If you can't, here's a free meal. You know, if someone's hungry, they're hungry. And, and the more questions you ask and the more barriers you make people climb over, the less likely they are to actually follow through and receive that assistance. We have a partnership with the Friday Food Bag Project, which gives food bags to low-income kids that have been identified through school counselors 
making sure that they have a food bag to get them through the weekend because some of these counselors and teachers were noticing kids showing up, essentially saying, I'm so hungry, I haven't eaten all weekend. And so the, the Friday Food Project gives them a bag of food and Whole Food Rescue partners with them to put in produce and bread into those bags. But then we also have a school pantry that we piloted last year in one of our elementary schools. And basically what it is, is it's accessible for any child at any time to go in and get a snack. And then on Thursdays and Fridays, we allow the students to come through and shop for food to take home with them over the weekend. And so it's essentially our pilot of what does it look like if you actually give kids the opportunity and the authority to make their own food decisions rather than just giving them a food bag? And so we're still just analyzing analyzing that model and how it compares to the Friday food bags to figure out what is what is the biggest and best impact we can have and what is actually feasible and scalable. So our goal would be for no child to ever go hungry, whether it's it's after school, whether it's on the weekend, whether it's during summer. Um, and so right now we're still in these pilot phase periods, but really that initial goal is for no kid to ever go hungry. Do you have focus groups or, uh, it's strange, a child on your board who can help give some, who could help with opinions or can who, who can offer some some kid-based vocabulary when it comes to these programs that you're, you guys are putting together? No, and that's a great idea. I'm literally writing that down as you speak. Hannah Cooley is Whole Food Rescue's Director of Programs, and she explains that in every lunch, they're trying to balance the kid-friendly and the nutritious food options. Each lunch ideally includes a sandwich, some fresh produce, a granola bar, and a snack. One of the issues that Allie and her team are working towards is counseling the people they help, children and adults alike, to choose healthy food over options with empty calories. Consuming foods that are heavily processed with excessive and sometimes artificial and addictive sweeteners, dangerous fats, and high-in-sodium options have been proven to cause major long-term health issues that are expensive to manage and will shorten one's life expectancy. Whole Food Rescue is out to feed people with a focus on nutrition. Something that I think it ties back to our earlier comment, something that we really focus on is the quality of food that we give out in the school pantry. You know, we we don't want to give the kids that option between a Snickers bar and a bag of Cheetos. We give them the option between some dried bananas and a granola bar. So, you know, they get to pick, but we try to stock the pantry with things that are healthy and minimally processed so that even just their exposure to those foods increases. And so over time they start to see, oh, you know, I had broccoli with ranch at the um, Friday pantry and I liked it. And so for our summer lunch program, that will essentially look like giving any kid that comes up to our food mobile the opportunity to choose their meal. So rather than saying, you know, here's your mac and cheese and broccoli and apples, enjoy, we say, you know, do you want mac and cheese or do you want egg salad? Do you want carrot sticks or do you want broccoli? Simple questions like carrot sticks or broccoli are now overshadowed by COVID-19. 
As of this recording, it's still very present in all of our communities, with states slowly determining what segments of society are safe to reopen and how much of our shelter-in-place mandates need to remain for our own health and safety. Jackson's economy is unique in that it's entirely based on tourism. World-class alpine and cross-country skiing in the winter and hiking, biking, mountain climbing, horseback riding, rafting, and fishing in the summer attract nearly 3 million people to the valley each year. With COVID, the entire town is truly shut down. And for the economy to turn back on, people need to be okay traveling. How long is this going to persist? Not only from the health perspective, but from the kind of paradigm perspective of when are people going to feel safe to travel again? Are you able to continue or even expand your programming during the pandemic? And how are you ensuring that all of the children of at-risk or socioeconomically disadvantaged families are able to participate? The schools are closed. So are you able to, to drop off at certain locations? Are you going to people's homes? Like, how are you finding these people? Or how are they finding you? Right. COVID-19 has has really changed a lot for us. Um, luckily, our food rescue inventory seems to be consistent with how it was prior to COVID-19. There was a period of time right when the panic started where there was no food to rescue because there was no food at the stores. But that's that's normalized now. Um, and so, you know, we're still getting our normal inventory. But what's happened is that a lot of our distribution locations have shut down. All of our after-school programs, our in-school food pantry, our senior center, you know, these are all examples of locations where we used to get food out to people in need that are no longer allowing us to distribute food. And so our response is essentially establishing some new locations in the community for people to access food. Luckily, the school district has funding from the state to provide breakfast and lunch to all all children when school is technically dismissed. So right now during COVID, when school is in session, over summer, that that situation starts to change and their funding isn't as robust. The Whole Food Rescue's role over the summer really is filling that need of getting the kids that are left at home in parts of the community that are far away from where the school meals are happening. And that's our Sprout Mobile. You know, our goal really is to make sure that the whole community is fed. And while children are a main priority for us, we, we want to make sure it's accessible for all. This year, Allie and her team at Whole Food Rescue are looking forward to celebrating another year's work at the Million Pound Party. Because of COVID, they're concerned if the event will even be able to take place this summer. And especially with all the new programs they plan to roll out, they're reaching out to their donors and business sponsors like never before. But Allie is an optimist. Not all jobs are jobs, and she feels so blessed to have this one. I feel so lucky every day, and many times people will ask me, how do I find my life's work? How do I find my passion? And I, I just laugh because, you know, I, I, don't have, I don't have the answer. And I tell people, I found mine in the trash. You're just going to have to live your life, and it will become apparent to you what yours is. But I literally found mine sitting in a dumpster. So <laughs> I don't have the recipe. 
We encourage you to consider how much food may be wasted in your homes and communities. There are small, impactful actions we can all take to limit the amount of food that ends up in the trash, as well as support local organizations aimed at curbing waste and ensuring that everyone has access to good and balanced meals. Shopping from a menu is a great way to limit the amount of excess perishable foods in our kitchens, and there are several cookbooks and blogs that share some really great recipes using leftovers. A quick Google search is all it takes. We also have a link to a food rescue locator in our show notes. Some even have compost programs and local community gardens you can dig into. Let's all do our part to keep ourselves and our planet healthy. Since first airing this episode in 2020, Wyoming's First Lady, Jeannie Gordon, has named Allie Melbourne, now Dunford, as a Regional Director of the Wyoming Hunger Initiative. Allie continues to fight food insecurity for Wyoming children and families, as well as advocating for climate action and environmental justice. Impactually is created and produced in cooperation with HUM Productions. Our web address is HUM, that's H-U-M-M, productions.com. Financial support for the show is provided by JLB Images and listeners like you who support us on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash impactually. We'd like to extend our sincerest thanks to our guest, Allie Dunford. We have links to Whole Food Rescue, how to start your own food rescue, as well as tips for safe and successful dumpster diving in our website show notes. A very special thanks to Full Chord Bluegrass for providing their songs downtown and slumbering in the Cumberland. We have a link to their website in our show notes, and their music is available on all major streaming platforms. Our team, Christine Murdoch, Senior Producer and Editor. Sound Engineering by Matt Wheeler and Andy Shoemaker. James Nash, Director of Operations. Jack Bechtold, Director of Productions. Music Curation by L. Lively of Crooked Tree Creative. Richard Cassis of Spark, Inc., for digital artwork and branding. Andrew Sachs provided our theme music, and I'm Brooke Bechtold, executive producer and host. Subscribe and listen to us on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Radio Public, or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate it, as it helps others find us, too. We'd love to hear from you, so send us an email or find us on social media. Pitch us ideas about people who you think would be great to have on our show. Maybe it's even you. We'll be back soon with another extraordinary episode. Everyone has a story. Share. Share.